Welcome to the Holy Roman Empire's History Podcast. I will be your host, KSK. Today is the first episode. So let's start with the beginning. The Holy Roman Empire is a theme that is not accessible uh, for many reasons. Most people in the academia would argue that the Holy Roman Empire is not that important, even though, of course, it lasted for over a thousand years and it uh, played a major role in the politics of, of Europe and the evolution of the Western society. Mostly, it was a deranged state, something that had to be destroyed and uh, worked from the bottom up. Napoleon destroyed effectively the Holy Roman Empire in Austerlitz and made new states, functional states. Uh, It is possible to say that the Holy Roman Empire is a non-functional state. So let's go back to the beginning. The accessibility of the information of the Holy Roman Empire is at best scarce. And uh, the scarcity of that information made me want to create a podcast that is more accessible to people that are relatively interested in history to maybe go a little bit deeper. Uh, Speaking of uh, the rarity of uh, information and where we can get uh, educated on uh, the question of the Holy Roman Empire, I have uh, consulted many, many sites, uh, which I will uh, link in uh, the description. I have three books that are my main uh, backbone for this podcast. It would be The Holy Roman Empire, A Thousand Years of Europe's History by Peter H. Wilson. You may have heard it on uh, some BBC's podcast when he was talking about that same book. Um, The Teutonic Knights by Henry Bogdan and History of the Crusades by Stephen Runciman. The former, The Holy Roman Empire, A Thousand Years of Europe's History by Peter H. Wilson is the most complete. The main theme is the empire itself. Now, the Teutonic Knights and the History of the Crusades refer to the Holy Roman Empire sometimes. And uh, I will use those uh, two books to analyze in in a deeper way the relationship between the papacy and uh, the emperors and the princes and uh, the other and the kings also the of the of the empire those would be my sources and now let's talk about the re- the my personal opinion about the, the 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 empire well i am a bit obsessed by the the holy roman empire the main things that strike me in this geo- geopolitical mass is the uh, symbolics they it has behind it the power it seems to hold something very mystique also another fundamental question is how come so many germans live in different states when many other nations uh, live under one state the complex relationship between the princes and the emperor and the kings 
which would be also found in France and in England and in uh, many other uh, feudal regimes of uh, the Middle Ages. But when the reforms came in France and in Denmark and in England and so on and so forth, most of those countries became more and more centralized. Whence the Holy Roman Empire became more and more decentralized. The points that interest me the most are those. And of course the peculiar relationship between the religion and the state. At some points in the history of the empire we could say that they were one. The religion and the state were one and the same thing. Now let, let us start by some very basic things. The Holy Roman Empire was founded by Charlemagne in the year 800 for Christmas Day, the 25th of December of the year 800. He was crowned by Pope Leo III. The story goes like this. Apparently Pope Leo III had problems in Rome and he fled to uh, the city of Pedbron to meet Charles who at that point was uh, known as Charles the Great. Through political quirks, which we will get to in due time, he invited him to come to Rome for the 25th of December and crown him King of the Romans or Emperor of the Romans. Now, it is, uh, it is not an easy task to do, but Charlemagne had acquired many crowns. He became King of the Franks, Franks and King of Lombardy also. He waged wars against Saxons. Uh, in the north in order to Christianize them. That gave him tremendous legitimacy in the eyes of the church. He succeeded in crafting the Holy Roman Empire or the Empire of the Franks. Charlemagne died some 14 years after his coronation. After his death, the empire was divided to his three sons. The westernmost would be known today as France. The easternmost became the Kingdom of Germany. And there was one in the center that had a peculiar name. Back in those days, the land would be divided equally uh, between sons. Since Charlemagne had three sons, he divided into three the Western Francia, the Eastern Francia, and the center would be known as Lotharingia because his son's name was Lothair. That stretch of land started from the Low Countries and went all the way south to Italy, taking some from France and some from Germany. It was like a snake-like country, and it was generally understood that it was impossible to politically maintain. Later, the empire was reborn during the Ottonian dynasty. Of course, we will get to that in due time. 
The empire was made from the holdings of Otho II, and from there on, he took the German crown and destroyed it and created the Holy Roman Empire, as we know and as we will study in these podcasts. Let us now jump many years from where we started in 800. Let us jump in 1648. Um, I'm currently holding the book of Peter H. Wilson on uh, the figure number nine. It is a map of the empire in 1648. We We see so many things. We see the Netherlands that are being holed by the Spanish crown. Uh, there is a Dutch Republic and there are duchies such as um, Saxony and uh, Bavaria and the Upper Palatinate and the Lower Palatinate and the Palatinate and Würzburg and Hessen and Lippe and Braunschweig and Mecklenburg and so many, so many states, small states going in the hundreds And then we see kings. Bohemia and Moravia and Silesia are together a kingdom. We see archduchies, Austria, united with Styria. Now we even see a confederation, the Swiss confederation. And there are also republics, Milan and Parma and Modena, Genoa, much of these are republics, others are petty kingdoms or duchies and baronies. This state is a patchwork of states. Um, There is a famous uh, saying by Voltaire, the Holy Roman Empire is neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. I think that starting from there, we can explain a lot of things. What Voltaire meant by that is, when he said it, was in the 18th century. And uh, it was not holy anymore, because more than half of the princes and the population of the empire was no more Catholic but was some forms of denominations of Protestants. It was not Roman, because Rome, the the papacy, had its own free states and was not part of the empire. There were Romans no more, nor an empire. The idea we have behind an empire is that it's a pyramid very well structured by its bureaucracy, its armies, and a very centralized power with uh, sub-regions. Every holder is would not be um, independent, but every holder of land would directly answer to the emperor. For example, in the ancient Rome, there were governors who were elected for a period of time. When their job was done, they would go back to Rome or wherever they would please. 
and someone else will take the place. Now, the problem with the Holy Roman Empire, it's an empire only in name because the holders of various regions and territories, even free cities or bishop, bishopric territories held by the church, are essentially autonomous. Therefore, the state has a very hard time being a state, a coherent state. Uh, the emperor is elected by elector counts who have tremendous autonomy. Once the emperor is elected, he essentially answers to them. Or worse again, he tries simply to upgrade his own holdings to eventually make his son become emperor and try to get more holdings and be better than the others. The Holy Roman Empire was not a cohesive state. Most princes would bicker and fight each other for land, territory or prestige. And the emperor would usually use its power to gain more personal gains, more personal territories. It was not a coherent state. And that is where the Holy Roman Empire stands. Now let's start with a question that may easily arise. Why should I bother? Why should I bother learning about the Holy Roman Empire? And in some ways, you could argue that there is no other reason than uh, to learn more about the Holy Roman Empire, strictly from a historic point of view, for better words, uh, self-interest, because you're interested in it, or the general history of Germany and the surrounding states. Now I would discress with that, because there are many implications today. I would start with the idea of federalism. Now one could argue that the Holy Roman Empire is a type of federation. A nightmarish type of federation, certainly. Probably it is the most failed federation in the history of federalism. But in a sense, considering that the empire is a state, loosely held term here, in that state there are many entities which are governed in di different ways, and it may be a case study for failed federations and what not to do. Now that's a point I really like about the Holy Roman Empire, because it's a history of mistakes, essentially. And through those mistakes those enormous mistakes, I think we can learn a lot today. Now, another implication, a very real and very important implication, is the Thirty Years' War. The Thirty Years' War is a major power shift in Europe. Although it brought with it religious tolerance and the idea of the modern state. Now, let's look at a very brief history of the Thirty Years' War. The war started in 1618 and ended in 1684. There were 80 million deaths. It was the most violent religious war in the history of Europe. The war started when Lutheranism gained popularity among the aristocracy. And the idea was that the aristocrats 
holders of different lands um, wanted to make their lands officially Lutheran or even Calvinist. These are forms of Protestants and the Catholics uh, did not want to hear any of that. It was a history of different elector counts that fought each other and other minor counts also. And in a weird twist of fate, the French state intervened in the name of the Protestant princes. Now France is very Catholic at this point in time. So much so that they even gave land to the Pope in the south when he had to flee from uh, the Papal States. It was the land of Avignon. It's, it's certainly pragmatism from France's point of view. The idea was to uh, slow the Habsburgian power, to curb them down, because the Habsburg were gaining a lot of territory in Europe through uh, inheritance and smaller wars. And France felt maybe like today's Russia, surrounded. So they had to intervene on behalf of their back then religious enemy, or how could it be translated today as ideological enemy. Now, the Peace of Augsburg occurred that allowed the Lutheranism and Roman Catholicism. So from then on, there should have been no wars in principle. But after 1600, the peace was again very much threatened because the elector prince of the Palatinate, Friedrich V, who happened to be a Calvinist, uh, led uh, a, an alliance of Protestants against uh, the Duke of Bavaria and his alliance of Catholics. But that, that was not the crux of the thing. The, all hell really broke loose when the king of Bohemia wanted to force uh, Catholicism upon his subjects in Bohemia. He was to become the Holy Roman Empire, Emperor and he really failed miserably. The local nobility did not want to hear any of it. Uh, he got expulsed from uh, the capital. It, it went very sour. And then Denmark and Sweden joined in aid uh, of various uh, princes and they actually grabbed some land. And then Spain also joined. It was not in the name of Catholicism, even though it was presented as so, but it was to crush the Dutch rebellions. I will just like to remind uh, the listeners that the Spanish held the low countries at that point through inheritance. We can look, uh, let's, let's have a quick look at uh, both parties and the major players of both parties. Now, in the states that were anti-Habsburg or the Protestant League, we have Sweden, Denmark and Norway, which were in a personal union, the United Provinces, France, Bohemia, Saxony, the Palatinate, Brandenburg, Prussia. Brandenburg had acquired the Duchy of Prussia from uh, Poland. Braunschweig, Lüneburg, England, Scotland, Transylvania, they were also supported by the Ottoman Empire and the Russian Tsardom. The Habsburg states and their allies were uh, the Holy Roman Empire nominally, 
which consisted of the Catholic League, Austria, and Bohemia, but after 1620 when uh, peace got settled. The Spanish Empire, although it was for their own uh, personal needs. Hungary, which was allied to uh, Austria. The Kingdom of Croatia, which was uh, Austrian held, as, uh, essentially Austrian-held lands. Denmark, Norway, switched sides. This was uh, not an uh, uncommon practice in this war. Wherever there was territory to gain, sides were switched quite fast. They were also supported by Poland and the Zaporozhian Cossacks, um, mostly mercenaries and smaller bands. Now, the aftermath. The aftermath is the reason I'm summarizing the whole 30 years war. There is this statement Cuius regio eius religio in Latin it means essentially your state your religion every prince could choose the official religion of his state based on his own religion now that is a great benchmark beginning for religious tolerance next up which is another great step for religious tolerance is that you could, as a civilian, practice your Christian denomination in a state that was not of your religion, in given days and in private without persecution. Now that's a very big statement uh, for the time it happened. And finally, uh, as the, they the uh, warring parties signed the Peace of Westphalia and the subsequent peace treaties, a general recognition of the exclusive sovereignty of each party over his land was made into place. This is also a de facto death of the Holy Roman Empire because the Holy Roman Empire from that point on had no sovereignty over the states it encompasses in a sense it's you completely useless because the emperor could only have power over those states through coercion and if the empire was powerful enough of course he could lead armies or he could threaten and through uh, political and diplomatic ways maybe do what he wanted to to those states make them change religion or maybe make them pay certain taxes or grab land but if the emperor was weak he had essentially no power over those states because they were sovereign states they were considered as completely sovereign states i think in my opinion that these events grounded the western world in a new understanding of freedom uh, here I use the term very loosely. First and foremost, religious freedom of the in individual in three Christian denominations being Calvinism, uh, practically, Lutheranism and Roman Catholicism, legally. Although the Pope was extremely opposed and extremely is a very weak word for his opposition. And also, secondly, the first time that the idea of sovereignty is so important and cemented 
in uh, this extremely big peace treaty of Westphalia or an accumulation of treaties that led to the peace of Westphalia. Now we will end the podcast. I think this is a good start for an overview of the functionality of the Holy Roman Empire. If you are no longer interested, at least you have the basics. What I wanted to do with the first podcast is not start really from the introduction because there is a certain need to know what I presented and even more, but we have to start somewhere. So this presentation should leave us should lead us to a uh, second episode which we will go pretty far back we're going back to the merovingians a dynasty of franks and then we're going to jump on the carolingians uh, again a dynasty of franks that held power in uh, essentially today's france From them came Charlemagne and we will learn the history of Charlemagne and how he became the first Holy Roman Emperor and why after his death the empire was no more and had to be reborn down the line by another dynasty. So thank you everybody for listening. I'm your host KSK. It has been a pleasure. See you in two weeks.